Hello listeners, this is a short announcement. On the 28th of November, David and I will have our first live podcast, our first live show in Brighton. We're opening the doors at 6.30. We have all the details in the show notes. So join us on the 28th of November from 6.30 in Brighton for our first ever Men Up, Men Down live show. Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Welcome to another episode of Man Up, Man Down. Today's guest is someone that I'm uh, very pleased to welcome. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for about a year now, and over the course of that time, met some very inspiring people. Uh, but this is someone, the first time that I've had someone that's been inspiring me for a very long time uh, to have on the show. So welcome to Stuart, Stuart Ludbrington. Stuart's the Managing Director of SBR, which are a sales consultancy, um, and they've worked with everyone from Google to TikTok, um, everyone in between. Um, but it's not its not really sort of uh, Stuart's sales expertise. Well, kind of, which, which we'll come to in a minute. But um, as I say, Stuart's someone that's always inspired me. I met Stuart when I first moved to the area um, 12 years ago um, because I didn't know anyone. I uh, decided to join the triathlon club, as you naturally do. Uh, Stuart was the um, the member secretary there. And then sort of over the course of, of, you know, a year or so, I got to know Stuart a bit better and discovered that he'd taken on some incredible endurance challenges, such as the Marathon de Saab, which is, you know, running several marathons day after day across the Sahara Desert. Um you know, he's a man of extremes, so he's also uh, done some North Pole endurance uh, activities and numerous Ironman events. But, you know, Stuart is just someone that just seems to be constantly living life. Um, I mean, I, I was sort of going through his Facebook feed just before we got on. And this year alone, he's been on a, a motorbike trip around Cuba with his wife, been to Marseille for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, he's been to Austin, Texas uh, for work, a uh, road trip around Spain. So he was in Brussels, then then the next day he was back, or oh, sorry, that very day he was at a local beer festival, um, Singapore, Ibiza, camping and raving weekends with the family, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Singapore, uh, Oxted Pram Race. <laughs> um, but as I say, you're just someone that, that's always doing something. And um, I mean, I think, you know, where Stuart really had an impact for me at the Triathlon Club, we'd have something called Oktoberfest where it'd be back to basics and we sort of have workshops and one that Stuart delivered was on mindset. So there's there's sort of three points that I took away from the talk that he delivered. One is, well, the phrase opportunity, opportunity is nowhere, um, which is if it's written all in one word, it says opportunity is nowhere, but it also says opportunity is now here. And also one of the things he talked about is, you know, if you turn up to race day, it's peeing down with rain, you're automatically going to be like, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. And he said, you've got to reframe that. And it's the same for everyone. And it's how you react to that situation that makes the difference. And then finally, um, another point he made is that we all 
open up bananas in the wrong way. So anyway, <laughs> that's my intro of you, Stuart. I don't know if there's anything you want to uh, well, it, or clarify, it but definitely stalked me very well on Facebook. That's for sure, <laughs> David. That's that's a, that's a key thing in there. Um, and I, I, I hasten to add that it's not me normally posting those things. It's often my wife that posts those things. So so oh, right, uh, yeah, and tags me in them. So that's why you're you're getting a, a kind of that full coverage, apart from the odd work one here and there, and enjoying where I go um, when it, whether it's work or whether it's for fun you know and, and hopes, hopefully in some cases a little bit of both great well I mean you know I've, as I said I've sort of rattled through quite a few things there but I mean so where as I said you know I'll be honest you sort of sparked an interest in you know positive mentality and I guess the flip side of that mental health but you know it was the first time that I guess you know I was like oh you can well, I learned that you can exercise those sort of muscles as well as your physical muscles. So, I mean, have you always been a positive person? You know, it's, where it's, where has that come from? It's a great it's a great question, David. I, I think I must have had a large degree of kind of a positive mental attitude, which you know, through your social conditioning environment, there's bound to be have played a part to it. Having said that, when people meet uh, my parents, they don't always think that that was the case. So, I'm not sure it was necessarily them. But I think the first test that I realised that actually I might have had this was when I got my driving test through. You know that infinite, that amazing day when you think, right, here it is. This is the this is the day I've got to come and do it. And opened up the envelope, and there it was. Friday the thirteenth of May um, was the day that I had my driving test. And my immediate reaction, and I remember this very vividly at the time, going, my immediate reaction is, this is definitely mine. I, I'm definitely going to pass this, purely because everyone else's mindset would have been completely the opposite I would imagine or a lot of people's and as it happens you know once I had and I did take my test I did I was lucky enough to pass that first time but I then spoke to the instructor after all that kind of horrible atmosphere is when you're sat in there with this instructor or this this um, examiner and uh, he did say we've had so many cancellations today I'm so glad you turned up so there was a almost playing the field really of knowing that that might have been the case on that that day but the reality is that I suppose I might have had something like that in its infancy at that age, but it wasn't until I, I entered the world of sales that I realized that, you know, mental toughness was something super important. And you might remember, David, that one of the things I used to say is that when I was um, early in business, you know, I'd often go and see inspirational individuals. A lot of them were sports people that would turn around and saying how you can apply kind of sports mindset to, to, to business. And I actually thought, well, I've developed my mindset in, in sales. As a, as, a, as, a, you know, as a business professional, why don't I apply that into sports? So I, that's the reason for doing this the speech. And and it was only hearing a number of times, you know, on a race field, you know, getting ready for racing, even in training, hearing the self-talk that people would have around why they wouldn't be able to do things. I remember vividly in, in Bournemouth, there was this huge, huge swell for the sea swim. I mean, it was, it was, you, you would never in your right mind go into the sea with this kind of swell. And I thought my mindset was actually there's going to be people there that are looking after you in canoes. If you're ever going to go and drive, do a crazy swim in that kind of weather conditions, you, you know, this is going to be the safest environment to go and do it. So my mindset was this should be fun. But also I was encouraged, you know, as a sportsman, and I'm slightly competitive, David, you, you know that, as a sports person, I was thinking this is great because half the field mine will be in a completely different space. And, it, and it's the same thing. With, 
so amusingly, as we were flying out to to northern Canada to do this race to the North Pole, I remember as we're getting the flight, and the flight across the Atlantic is it's the same length of time to fly to the north of Canada. To give you the perspective of the size of Canada to go up there, which involved two or three um, plane journeys to get up there to a, a place called Resolute. And one of the stops, and then you think about how terrible the weather in the UK sort of goes when there's a little bit of snow, everything grinds to a halt. And there we are, planes landing on ice is the norm for that part of the world. And people would get out of, out of the planes, we go into sort of a terrapin-type building that would be classed as a, as a terminal. And um, people go, oh my goodness, it's so cold. And you think, where's their head at if they're going to be racing in the North Pole and they're complaining about how cold it is? It's... You, you could see, and I suppose when I got to that age, you realize that actually you can really be very uh, ahead of the game of others when you realize what sort of damaging internal dialogue that they have, that it already gives you an advantage. And I've learned that in sales. I've learned that through, you know, being politely persistent when it comes to being able to win a piece of business and, you know, never to upset anybody, but equally recognizing applying your own mindset to this the entire time so you know you might give up well if i give up that means other people will give up so if i carry on i might supersede that other individual and i suppose it's that competitiveness of being a, a, a high performer um that drives you on and you know as you as you well know from my triathlon i joined the, the tri club probably a little bit like you to meet some friends um and, and make some friends out there it was very close to where i used to live but i actually didn't know how to swim when I joined the club and it was somebody else in the dry club actually that inspired me because there I was in lane six, lane six trying to learn to swim properly and be able to go from one end to the other without feeling exhausted let alone then jumping on a bicycle and then running around somewhere somebody said to me oh I used to be in lane six and he was a lane one swimmer a guy called Martin who I think you know Dave yeah and um, he inspired me and we know and I'm sure Martin won't mind me saying is he's not the lightest or slightest of individuals um, as far as a frame and you just think wow if someone like Martin can go from lane six to lane one as far as that performance is concerned then then there was hope for me and so I applied the kind of learning mindset to what I share with people when it comes to sales enablement and sales performance to myself and I think if I hadn't done that I would have given up and there's a great analogy that I use is that if eventually you know, moved up from lane six to lane five and lane five to lane three, for example. And then I, I remember moving from lane three to lane two. And I asked one of the um, coaches there and, you know, all these guys are all volunteers. They all go on courses. They all own the latest knowledge around coaching and have to admire their commitment to help everybody in the tri club. And I was asked to move up to lane two, which was a daunting and scary thought to go into lane two. But I, there was something I realized is as I sort of lifted the, 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 the wire that goes and separates the lanes and moves into this lane two with all these guys that are all super fast in comparison. Because when you, when you swim down lane three on one side, you look over your shoulder as you're turning to breathe to lane four people. And of course, what you're saying to yourself is, I'm faster than them. I'm faster than them. And then you turn the corner at the end and you, slide, you, you, you go down your lane three on the other side and you've got the lane two swimmers. And you're saying, they're faster than me. They're faster than me. And what's happening is that you're actually, your mindset's keeping you in the same space the whole time. Now, at the time, we had 44 members in the tri-club um, that were regularly swimming every week. 
And I remember asking one of the coaches, another Martin, actually, you know, the other Martin, the coach, head coach. And, and I said to him, I said, how many people have moved lanes in the last 12 months? And he said, no one. And it might, again, the, the light bulb for me was recognizing that we have a tendency, probably that analogy is useful in life, isn't it? You know, I'll never be able to earn as much as that person, or I'll always be better than that person. But we end up staying in our own bubble of security and potentially, even though it's, it's wrongly termed, comfort zone, because it's not always comfortable, but it's a mental zone of of staying in a stagnant or a, in, a, in, a, in a, a safe space. I mean, I know sort of a lot of what you're talking about is the sort of thing that the Volker's also an expert in. I mean, I'd sort of say that I'm, you know, I, I perhaps have have a naturally like negative mindset. So, it, you know, it's a case of trying to improve that. Whereas I'd say you two guys seem to have quite a natural positive mindset and you're able to manage that self-talk. So I guess my question to both of you then, you know, as, as sort of performance coaches, what tips can you give to someone that, you know, doesn't have as positive mindset as you? And, you know, how is it possible to change? And then maybe I, I throw a question on top of that. I throw this question to Stuart. You know, I can obviously chip in if you want me to, um, because you talked about mindset earlier, right? What, how, how would you define that that mindset you have, right? You talked about the internal dialogue as well, right? Yeah. It's a, yeah. You know, in mindfulness. So, we, and I, I, Volker, I know that you probably share various kind of self, self-conversation, self-talk um, cycles. And we call it the self-confidence cycle, which was lifted yeah. from um, a book from many years ago, actually, um, by a guy called Maxwell Maltz, who um, has written a book. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. Um, Psycho-Cybernetics. Um, and he wrote that book. And and it's been republished, actually, and, but you're hardly going to rip it off the shelves with the term psycho-cybernetics. But, um, <laughs> the, but the reality is, is it, 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 he talks about these kind of four stages of conversation. And, I, and I've subsequently, because while you've talked about all those kind of crazy things I've done, David, I've also decided to go back into education and have done a psychology degree and graduated in doing that. And I've now done business psychology as well subsequently to that. But uh, it, he talks about um, self-talk, so our internal dialogue. And I was lucky enough to meet the guy called Daniel Gold, um, or Gould, who was the chief psychologist, sports psychologist for the American Olympic team when when they came over for the 2012 Olympics. And um, and it, and he refers to the self-talk as just three areas, right? There's there's productive. I prefer to use the word productive self-talk rather than positive self-talk. So productive self-talk, and there's negative self-talk, and then there's neutral. So I'll give you an example. Productive self-talk is, this is an issue, but at least I've got solutions and I'm able to overcome that problem, right? Um, negative self-talk is, I, this always happens to me. And then the neutral self-talk is, I wonder what I'm having for dinner, all right? So there's, there's these conversations going on in our head. And of course, we don't need to worry about the neutral and the productive mindset. And I prefer, and let me and maybe expand upon that a little bit more. So there's positive and, and people can easily argue this, okay, but this is just my own personal opinion around positive self-talk. And I'll use an extreme example. The extreme example is that you can have a flat tire in a car and go, oh, in a positive mindset, you go, well, it's only flat at the bottom. Now, that's not going to get you anywhere, right? Now, I'm using that as an extremity, but the point being is that actually productive mindset is, thank goodness I'm a member of a roadside assistance service or the fact that I actually know how to change a tire or 
thank goodness I kept the wheeled locking nut in the in the car for me to be able to move, take it off, right? That's productive um, self-talk. So there's that internal dialogue, and then that goes into our self-image and belief, right? So how do you perceive yourself? What, what do you say about yourself? You know, so like you, David, when we joined the triathlon club, I, I, it took me three years of being and doing triathlons before I referred to myself as a triathlete. So I was someone that did triathlons, I wasn't a triathlete until probably three years into doing the sport and actually doing pretty well as far as my performance levels concerned. Um, it, it was sort of really quite a steep learning curve. It uh, definitely helps when you learn to swim, right? It definitely improves, right? So that has swim properly for phrases. And so that that was the kind of thing that is then your self-image. And then that image and belief gives you your actions and behavior. And your actions and behavior. So let's, for example, I'm not a very good swimmer, self-talk. Okay, My actions and behavior is that I, I just don't do swimming very well. And swimming is particularly exacerbates the whole situation because, of course, it, it involves your breathing a lot. And so if you get that nervous anxiety in your breathing, that really throws you into almost reinforcing the fact you're not a very good swimmer when you go and practice in your actions and behavior. Then your results are, and this is what happened to me, you know, I sort of splashed along almost like a doggy paddle to one end of, of a 25 meter pool and thought how on earth do people get off this and then go and cycle 25k on a bike or 50k on a bike or whatever and be able to to produce that kind of performance and and i couldn't even get one length of a pool so your actions and so your results come and then that was those results feed into your self-talk so to answer your question directly, that was a long-winded way, but hopefully your <laughs> listeners will be able to conceptually get those four stages. The action really is to recognize your internal dialogue, that self-talk. You know, what is it? What am I saying? Is that productive? You know, and, and there's nothing, you know, there are horrible things that happen to all of us. It's not saying, oh, I'm going to turn this into productive self-talk, but it's recognizing the damage it might do to yourself. So if I turn a, a Volker is in a similar space to myself as far as performance is concerned when it comes to business. You know, if I if I turn that around to a sales example of, oh, they've not responded to me in an email, I've sent them a proposal, they've not responded to me, they obviously don't like it, then your actions and behavior is that you won't follow it up. Whereas we're all super busy. They might have easily missed the email. They might have not had time. Things might have changed. You might have a change. To, so there's lots of things you could do that would be productive in a response to no response in this case, or you could be quite negative around it all. And I and I saw a great book, and Volker, this might be one you might have heard of as well. It's called Cold Calling for Chickens. It's a, it's a le- e- really easy book. I know David might be able to read it now. It's even got pictures of it. But it's a really easy book to read. But what I want some outstanding data piece in there was around, and again, I'm sorry for the sales analogies, but that is, the world I live in, and is that um, you know, when it comes to cold calling, it's only ninety percent of people, salespeople, do the first call. So already, ten percent of people won't even have the courage to make a first call. That was the first outstanding stat to one person, the same person. The second amount of people is fifty percent make a second call to the same person, and so already half the field of sales don't make a second call. And I don't know about you, but particularly that's really pronounced in our modern world, whereas we're, you know, we're all in texting now and emails, and everything else. There's so many more stimulus that actually calls will probably drop off. But it's, it was just outstanding. And, and yet 
the data suggests that people don't really make a decision or really think about answering that call or around about the sixth level, the sixth time. Mm. And now that sixth time, there's only 15% of people will make that kind of effort. So using that sales analogy, it's like anything we apply ourselves to, we're going to fail. We're likely to do badly. It's just not wired into ourselves. And I remember distinctly applying this. I've got four daughters, as you also know, Dave. Um, and, you know, I remember the, when the youngest were into those Heelys. Do you remember the shoes with the yeah. wheels in? Yeah. Now, you know, for me to be able to have that kind of excitement, you'd have to go to the school sports hall, which had the wooden floor, put your socks on, run across as fast as you can and see if you could skid, right? Or you wait till winter and there was ice, right? That was, but then the Heely gave you the magic of being able to do that. And I thought, this is just brilliant. My girls put the Heelys on. They actually heelied out of the sh- out of the store in blue water, and and I turned around on the on the, on the quiet and said to the, the storage assistant, I said, "Do they come in size nine? She goes, "Yes." <laughs> so, unbeknownst to my children, I then ordered a pair of these heelys and put them on, and I thought because it seemed like such fun, and of course I put these on, and I went a over t. I fell over <laughs> left, right, and said I could not do it for love nor money. It was horrendous experience. Then I told the girls I got them, and then they said, oh, this is great. Dad's going to come out with this, which was the plan, right? I'm like, no, I can't do this. One of the things I found is I could have so easily given up if I hadn't followed some of the principles that I'd already learned, whether it was in sales or sports. And I thought, do you know what? I will just rest on this. And one one thing was really peculiar is that the next time I tried it, the same same thing, I was just marginally better. And so even though I would consider myself as competitive, the biggest com- competition is always with myself. Mm. And I and I would always say to anybody, it's all about just getting better. With your, Don't worry about anybody else. And I think by reading and looking and learning and things, it's like, you know, if you study something, and I don't, and I'm definitely misquoting this, so I'm just randomly picking it out, but for the effect of the information, is that you know if you if you learn something for a year or two years you you become very knowledgeable if it's like three years you become a bit of a you know you're an expert and and if you do it for five years you can actually become almost world renowned now I don't know what the numbers actually are but it was persisting at something would be the kind of key thing is that don't allow yourself taught to go I'm rubbish at that now having said that I'm being really challenged at the moment because I'm learning Spanish on Duolingo that I, I'm learning that and boy it's it's it like i learned the lovely you know the most essential words like you know cerveza and una and dos but you know it started to get really complicated and now i'm beginning to challenge myself with all these learning a different language but you know trust the process and that's that's what i'm thinking so Volker, I'm sure you've probably got other things to add to that as well no there's 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 lots 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 in there i don't you know if i say i don't disagree I mean, self-talk, right? Negative self-talk, as, as we all know, can can you know become a downward spiral, right? And it's so important to you know, if I say to 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 catch it before it gets too too bad. And I think what what I realize with with the clients I work with, right? A lot is about self-awareness, right? And and the more self-awareness you have, and a lot of salespeople usually, you know, usually, you know, most of them <laughs> have self-awareness. Right, which means you 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 realize when when your thoughts turn negative, right? Because the deal is not coming in, no one's answering the phone. You know, I I don't make commission. You know, I'm going to end up on the street. And when 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 a salesperson realizes that, you know, if, if if they have the right mindset, they can 
turn it around, you know, you know, of, of course, you know, if I work harder, you know, if I work better, if I work smarter, you know, and, and, and they go up the spiral. And I think that's, you know, if, if you learn, you learn that in sales, right. And then you can apply it to, to life and everything else. So most, most salespeople, again, I'm generalizing here, have a, have a very positive mindset, right. Because you say trust, trust the process, right. That's something I learned in my psychology course at the moment, right. It's like, it's, it's very, you know, it's overwhelming. Everything is happening like, like life. Right, everyday life. Right, I, I, I remember. I'm sure I mentioned on a podcast recently. I remember very vividly when, when I first, because I had my first flat and I sorted out the internet and the telephone back in the days and everything else. And I said to my now wife, I'm like, I just want this to stop. Right, I just want to enjoy my life. And little did I know this, this never changed. Right, there's, there's constantly something in life you need to sort out. You know, whether it's building work on a house, you know, a new, new phone you get, you know, a new, new job. A neighbor you know what, what whatever right or family you know when you have kids you, as you just mentioned right there's there's always something and we just cope with it we have to trust the process that everything's going to be all right and it's, it's it's that mindset to to get on with it but i'm, I'm curious about the cold calling chicken reads it before because of the title <laughs> i think it, i think it's i think it's by a guy called Etherington, actually so Man Up Man Down is sponsored by Well Doing. As someone who has seen a counsellor for a number of years, I think their approach is great. They want you to find the mental health professional who is right for you. You can filter your search to highlight therapists with expertise where you need it, or you can pay to use their personalised matching service. The people who run Well Doing are experts in mental well-being, and they also have loads of posts and interviews to keep your mental health in good shape. Take a look at welldoing.org. But to answer your question, David, as well around the, 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 the you know, at the end of the day, there is an element that keeps us safe, right? There's there is a, there, an element that keeps us safe, and that's the, the the risk factor that we have. And I think another thing to Volker's point around salespeople, they're, they're more likely to take risks, um, be you know r- risk averse as opposed to being risk averse. They're risk tolerant. That is also another element. But how do how does one that actually is risk averse become a lot more positive or more productive? in their mindset and i think well first of all you've got the kind of this the safety element that keeps you there but that's back to that swimming analogy of they're faster than me or i'm faster than them and we get stuck in that loop and the only thing that's going to change that loop is if you do diff- something different and there's another saying that we often say in in, in our in, in my company in sbr is the um if you you know if you always think the way you've always thought you'll always do as you've always done and you'll always get what you've always got now in principle if you if you're happy with your lot and everything's okay that's that's good but the vast majority if not everybody that I speak to would always like to have something different or better which means you need to first of all think differently and then do differently and i think that's the the, the analogy but i would say my my early mental toughness lessons here's here's one of them the first thing that i was i learned and this was way back in the late 80s but i was taught this very well from some really good teachers and it wasn't something that i had so it was a learned process and that is any time something goes wrong in your life any time something goes wrong that you would seem it's going wrong is force your mental toughness muscle to come up with three positive things yeah. And that's the, that's the exercise 
that your mental toughness muscle is doing. Now, you might struggle to come up with three. And some of these things can be, you know, and I'm not talking about really horrendous things that have happened in your life. I'm just talking about, you know, your everyday things that you quite often, what we also refer to as mentally mushroom. You know, you've got the stalk that's the actual issue, but you've made it a lot larger than it really is. And I and I remember reading, I think it might have been a, an, another book. I think what, there was some books about these lovely sayings that quite often, and I remember one saying is that, you know, 50% of the problems you're thinking about right now won't exist tomorrow or something like that is, you know, invariably we seem to worry about things that actually are unlikely to happen to ourselves. And so I would say lesson number one, think of three positive things every time something goes wrong to build that mental toughness muscle. And then of course, I mean, for the more analytical minded individuals, you, you could do a, a risk cost benefit, right? of these things to help you sort of think around, well, this is this is what's going to get me out of this or achieve this or whatever. This is what the cost it is to me. You know, so a lot of maybe your listeners that are in early days in their careers, you know, the cost that they might have to succeed and, and, and be a high performer in whatever role they do is they might have to work a little bit later. They might have to start a little bit earlier. They might have to do a little bit of overtime, you know, to be able to be ahead of the rest of the pack as it were for them to not be stuck in the same space and you need to raise your head above the bar and and it might be a risk to you and it might and the cost might be that extra work that you might need to put in of course there may be people that take advantage of it and that's when you think well maybe it's time for me to to move on or do something else but um those are kind of key elements to internal dialogue is watching those words that you say and i think the dangerous words uh, we, we call absolutes so it's like this always happens to me it's it's eradicating words like always and never and um my wife hates this when i say this because so she's sometimes oh you always do this that's not true <laughs> so we won't go into my domestic scenario at the moment. <laughs> but, but but you can't say always and never yeah, and that's so detrimental to yourself. If this always happens to me, what the fact that people don't, you know, when it comes to whether it's dating or whether it comes to going for a job or whether it comes to, you know, this, it, it's not always. And you're 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 putting, you're feeding your self-talk evilness by saying those words, and you're making it a lot worse than it can ever possibly actually be. And so, lesson number one, three, three, you know, three positive things. Lesson number two. Do your best to get rid of things like the word always and never. Yeah, I said I, I agree, right? Never, ever. You you always do that, right? You know, these these words. Something else I wanted to pick up actually, or, or actually another comment I want to make in terms of positivity. What what I find really helps, you know, myself and, and a lot of my coaching clients as well as gratitude journals, right? Just at the end of the day, sit down for five minutes and just look at all the positive things in the, in the day. And if you had a shit day, you know, you, it's sometimes difficult, right, to find three things, as you said, right? But it's just training your brain to to look for the bright things out there. It's, it's so important. Yeah, I've, I've heard a number of people saying things like that also work if you're of that nature or even just putting it on an app or on, on your notes page yeah. in your book, things like this. Yeah, I mean, probably on the worst days, I'm still alive. I haven't got ill today. Yeah, <laughs> my body's not aching. You know, it, it, yes, you're, you're right, and it's just forcing you to think of that 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 way. You're absolutely right. You, you know, the, the the sun is shining, right? I I spent good hour with the dog playing, right, and everything else was shit. <laughs> you know, 
Um, but you said something else earlier, and you know, we're comparing you know ourselves to others. I think it was when, when you talked about the swimming and s- swim lanes and stuff. And I think that's a that's a big big problem if I say in, in society in general. And we we discussed that you know when when we talked with other guests about suicide as well. That since invention of the iPhone, because we have access and literally can look into each other people's life right on, on Facebook and social media, Instagram. Um, so, so this fear of missing out, right? And you know, no one ever posts a picture of their holidays, you know, really sad face going, "Oh, this holiday is really shit," right? Because holidays are always great, you know, everything is fine. I, I don't actually know where, where I was leading with that, but this, this, this comparing to others is is such such a bad habit. And I think if 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 we get to middle age, like you know, we, mo- most most of us do, of course, David doesn't, you know, and he's still spring chicken. There's a chicken pizza pan. <laughs> we um i think we, we we do less of that right we 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 i certainly don't give a shit anymore what people think about me it's if i say it's too late right to to worry about that but of course i worried before right in terms of which which career do i choose what job title do i have yada 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 right you know what what kind of car do i drive and um and, that, and i think it changes as we get older yeah i'd i'd i would agree that you know you become less influenced by others around you as you find yourself and you feel more confidence in yourself and i suppose when you're younger you might not have that partner that would be your life partner you might not have that house you might not have that vehicle you might not have that job that you feel is a career as opposed to a job so it's easy to sort of see the why that's a that's something that you can definitely fall into and and i would agree i mean we've probably all do to a certain degree still have aspirational elements to it all Sometimes that fuels people in a positive sense. It provides the fuel to continue to strive, to continue to get to, to get better. But equally, the the mental health issues that come from that when not achieving can be very damaging. And so, one of the elements I often share when I talk about goal setting, for example, is you know what are the important things in your life? What are all the most important things in your life? You know, and typically, my people might say finances, career, family, relationship um, as, as key parts to those important things. And, and, and you'll diversify. And there'll be other areas, your friendships, your social groups, your um, personal development would be other elements that come into it. And if you were to then think of that as or a score of one to 10 of where they are, and of course, it's your perception of what one is and what 10 is. But let's imagine, you know, if we go back to David and, and, and you know, triathlon, you know, okay, my, my cycling, I think I'm a I'm a five levels cyclist. Yes, for you to level yourself as a five, and I do remember doing a, a half Ironman over in Antwerp with a lot of people from the tri club at the time, and I actually did have a very very good bike ride in the, in the end because I'd only a month before cycled from John O'Groats to Lands End, so of all the things I was good at at that time was my biking. But I remember it was being televised at the time because it was at this event, and I heard the helicopter coming. Because the lead person racing, and it was a two-lap, went flying past me on his bike. I mean, literally flying past me. And my, I lost it, mentally lost it for a second by going, oh my goodness, if that triathlete can go that fast on his second lap, and it makes me look like I'm standing still, I'm going to chuck my bike away. There's just no point. And the first for that split second, I, 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 I lost it. And what I'm getting at is, is it, you know, that would be a 10, right? He would be a 10. And I'm a five. The, the the way I think to navigate life is not, you know, I've obviously got the perception of 10, but not strive for 10, strive for six. 
and and be looking at that gradual improvement because actually when you get to six you might go well actually do you know what that's enough for me well that's what i'm capable of is that level six i'm i'm, I'm not really haven't got the resources all the time or whatever to get to a, a seven because that guy that went past would have almost undoubtedly been a professional athlete and all he did was sports but i had a family i have a family i have a relationship i have a job a career all those other things it's just never i'm never going to get to a 10 or be able to think that the cost benefit of going to a 10 is actually going to be of, of value but the other part of it is actually putting in perspective to all the other important things in your life so don't just completely dedicate to sports if you've got a family and and understanding those component parts to your overall holistic life and that's certainly a, a, a mindset or philosophy or, or, or a way of thinking that i've sort of approached for the last 30 plus years of well gonna have to backtrack on a few things there because there are lot, lots of uh interesting points well for for um transparency's sake i have done some work for a sbr but i remember sort of during the um the pandemic um and i wrote a blog on one of your webinars and uh, the the acronym was CIA, but it was sort of like you basically when things happen, which you know the pandemic was definitely one of those things that happened. But it's a case of um, you know well, what is uh, what can I control, what can I influence, and what what do I have to accept? So I mean, I guess sort of you know if we go for the sales analogy, if if you're not selling, what you can tr- control is making more phone calls um so therefore you you can influence how many pick people pick up the phone but you can't control that you know and then you know you've got to accept that some of those phone calls you know the people might not want your product but you know it, it's sort of breaking it down in into well yeah spheres of influence i guess it, it's sort of how you explain it yeah um cia in fact um it's not even published yet, but it's just about to be published. Is a book called CIA um, by one of my colleagues in the United States, and um, and yeah, the CIA model is uh, we call it, as I say spheres of influence. Is that controlling those things you can control, and there's not a lot. Right? There's in my mind, there's only two things in reality that you can control. One is your internal dialogue, and if you want an extreme example of controlling one's internal dialogue, then the book Man's Search for a Meaning is probably the bestseller in the space of uh, of, of the horrendous elements of going through a concentration camp during the Second World War, of being able to control what the only thing he could control was his mind. And um, But that's an extreme example. But that, that's one thing you can control. And the other one, in my, intent, in my uh, belief, is that what you intend to do, because even if you do something, you, you might be able to stop it. You just say, okay, I'll make more calls, but then your phone line goes or your internet goes or whatever is out of your control. But, but the, but the, the, so therefore it's your, your scheduling, right? What you schedule or schedule to do, uh, is, is controllable. Now you could take it to another level and say, well, actually activity again, as an example, you know, there are times when that, that might not be in your control, but let's say it is, um, for the, for the benefit of this this conversation is that you can concentrate on doing activity so if we go to triathlon that would be training and what was really interesting is during the racing season of triathlon d- doing any training during that racing season is really not going to be- aid you very much the training's done in the off season and it's all the activity in the off season 
that preps you for your race season. And there's very little that's going to influence it. So you control your your schedule, your, your training schedule. As a salesperson, you can control the number of people you reach out to, the number of people you go in contact with, the number of meetings you have to a certain degree. You can influence them. In sales, we attempt to influence people on helping them with their decision-making. And, and, and you can influence others around you, without a doubt, but you can't control them. And, and then there's things you just have to accept. And if you think about the things we have to accept, the, the things we have to accept would be the weather, you know, traffic, taxes, all of those sort of things happen to us. And if you ask somebody, the average person, what do they spend most of their time thinking about? Where, where is their brain occupied? Is it in the things that actually fall under their control? Is it for things they fall under their influence? Or is it things they should just accept? I think when I've asked so many people over the years which one they spend most of their headspace in, it's in the things that they have to accept. And I think, again, another point to David, you asking the question, how do I build mental toughness, is actually spending less time, to your point, less time in the things that you just have to accept and more time particularly in the things you can control, but also the things you can influence. And it's mm. quite a nice analogy to go when stuff happens to you, you know, um, you might have been, you know, somebody's trying to take you to court for this or something's happened and they haven't paid bills here. You go, well, what can I control here? You know, what can I influence and what do I just have to accept? And, you know, if, for example, someone's not paid a bill and their business has gone under and therefore you've got this bad debt on your books, you could dwell on that and feel really sorry for yourself or you just go, well, I have to accept what can I do to mitigate that as best I can, you know, and, and those are the things that would be another mental toughness lesson or, or, or exercise is to apply CIA. But well remembered, David. Oh, thank you. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, for me, you know, and I think, I think sort of I have become a lot more mentally, well, you know, I have developed my mental toughness. You've, well, you've put this on, right? You've, you've, you know, you say that, but you know, you've, you've taken the gumption and the determination and tenacity to set up a, a, you know, a podcast like this. You know, there are loads of people that probably have loads of ideas for podcasts, but not that many actually. Mm. So, um, you know, you've taken your career and then you've moved it on a level to start thinking, well, how can I help and support other people? And you've gone and put this together. So I think it's easy for you to see the negative around yourself yeah. where in actual fact and again back to Volker's point around actually you know writing a, a, a thanking uh, diary as it were you know things to be thankful for yeah you've done it you've improved an awful lot and done an awful lot of great things that I've seen and I'm impressed with notwithstanding the fact that you've stuck at triathlon you've lost a lot of weight you're still at it you know all those great things you know? oh, I, I, I think the weight's still there <laughs> you just can't see where you know it's yeah certainly around the stomach but um but no i mean what i was going to say is is you know for me it's whenever i'm in a situation where i sort of feel overwhelmed or i can't do this i'm like wait a minute what other times and i've had this thought process and i've battled through that and um i mean sort of bit of a a bit of a humble brag but um so I, I mean, I did the London to Brighton challenge, which is, you know, endurance run from London to Brighton. And when I was training for that, I mean, it was actually the weekend of the East Grinstead Triathlon. So all the members have to volunteer, obviously, to, to put it on. So it was like, oh, well, actually, I'm meant to be doing, I think, a marathon and then a second run on the second day as part of my training. And I was like, I'm getting bored of running the same routes. Is there a, a marathon nearby? And there was um, one at Bill Water, 
um, which is in Kent. And basically, they they had a marathon distance, and then I saw that they had like the um, well ultra marathon distance, which is thirty seven miles, and basically it was like a, a loop, three three loops, and just as I was coming in to finish my second lap the guy that won it came in so I got lapped and also this woman said oh I'm down for the ultra but I think I've had enough and oh the weather was awful and I was just kind of like oh, you know it was only meant to be a marathon you know she's dropped out you know I'm going to be last because the winner's already come in I've still got you know another 12 miles to do and I was just like well, all I need to do is just get around that corner and you know and then I'm committed and I mean, you know, at the time, and I, but I, I come back, and that was quite a few years ago now. But I always sort of come back to that moment of, of you know, like, it, you know, a proper mental battle where, well, you know, if you want to go for devil or angel on your shoulder, yeah. great, um, great example. I remember I did the Nice um, uh, Ironman, and and I hadn't trained very well, and um, I, and, I remember actually, this. Yes, yeah, another so, guy who had been training did it. Yeah, so Nick had been, you know, Nick it, it had been training extensively and been following this religious process of training. And I'm thinking, um, and there was about ten other people in the club that were going to do it at the time, and so in training. And then eventually, it gets very close to the time, and um, Nick had turned around to me, says, "Stuart," he said, "Everyone's dropped out. I'm glad you're still in it." And that's I'm thinking, oh my god i'm gonna have to do this now so so basically flew over the day before and my bike turned up did, didn't turn up and i'm thinking oh goodness so there's a good excuse right my bike's not turned up not to, to compete then it then it turned up at 10 o'clock at night they'd already closed the the uh, transition so i had to go in super early in the morning five o'clock in the morning so my bike's just turned up at the airport at 10 o'clock. I had to get the bike. I then had to put it and build it together. And they bent one of the skewers for the for the um, axle of the bike. Oh, so I had to sort of bash that to try and get it straight. Then, um, and which was around about midnight. And then you go to sleep for four, probably four hours before you then compete. So then get onto the, to, to rack the bike, go for the swim. That was fine. Got onto the bike, started riding it. And then because of the bent axle, it kept rubbing the back brake. So every oh. time I put my pedals out, the back brake was rubbing. So the only solution was to take the back brake off, which is fine going uphill, which is a, or straight up, um, you know, the Alps and then straight down again. It was the down bit that was worried, but I said, I'll overcome that. So that then um, bent. So I took the back brake off, they carried on. Then the tri-bar connection on my bike snapped off. So I only had a left arm tri-bar on the bike. And I'm thinking, how many excuses do you need to stop a race? Then I felt so tired because I was late the night before as well. So tired. I couldn't keep my eyes open at all. I pulled over and went to sleep on the side of the race. And I and I worked out I must have only been asleep for a minute and a half, but it was enough to give me re-energized to carry on and do the race. Anyway, by the time it gets to the run, which is, is a marathon run, I was just completely gone, right? But all I kept thinking of, a little bit like you, David, is that, and this is again, maybe there's a, there's a, there's a message in here, is just go to the next feeding station, right? Just go to the feeding station, which is every, was it every 10 kilometers, it's a feeding station, right? Just get to the next feeding station, next feeding station, next feeding station. And it was just doing that, is that bite the size, right? So you say, just get that corner. And then when you hit that mm. corner, I'm sure you probably thought, well, there's that other corner. And then you think, all right, so I've broken the back of this now, it's on the home stretch. 
you know, and it, and I think for those that want to get out of a comfort zone, this is this is fundamentally what one has to do, and that's why I think it's great that there's so many things like couch to 5k apps on your phone to be able to learn to run if you're not being into sports but it's it's the ment i think the mental learning is as powerful as the physical learning when it comes to doing things that you've never done before and that was getting the confidence to go and one do a triathlon in the first place and then you know do maybe a larger event in a larger distance and then doing you know as you say running six marathons um, in five days through the sahara or you know, racing to the most places, just pushing those things. And then, you know, and so positive mental attitude, I think the real thing that uh, that if to look at myself would be is to always be learning, whether it's mm. sports or, as I said, psychology or something is always be learning and doing something that's different because new horizons, new doors open by doing something different. Well, once again, I think this is a conversation that um, could go on for many more hours next time next, next time over a pint right well yeah. yes yeah yeah well, well thanks very much Stuart um i mean obviously as i say you know you're managing director of sbr so obviously people can find you on linkedin anywhere else they can find you well if, they, if you are interested in intrigued there's lots of free resources on on our website sbrconsulting.com where you could if for those that are interested i would i would recommend the goal setting um, workshop they've done if they're interested in that which you don't have to be in sales to enjoy or or learn maybe certainly from my perspective an element around goal setting and I think from what you were sharing earlier you can see I'm constantly setting goals and and, and going out there not always achieving them but things that are out there um, and happy to share and for people to see that as a free resource for them to, to, to learn and if you're in the sales world then definitely look me up Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to Volker or David via our website, www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Hear you again soon.